Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Prestige Community Resources Podcast. We are excited today with the topic, and we have invited an expert to kind of guide us around the realities surrounding placing mentally ill persons and those with substance abuse uh, into stable housing situations, particularly during this pandemic season. Uh, The title of the podcast today is Housing Solutions and Mental Health. I'm excited and delighted and amazed to be able to introduce to you Miss Tiana McQueen. Miss McQueen, welcome to the podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. Miss McQueen is the resident service manager with Prestige, and she has recently been very successful with opening uh, single room occupancy under the Prestige banner. So we want to hear about her experiences and some of the challenges and barriers that have been associated with this uh, magnificent initiative that you've taken the lead on. So Ms. Tania, why don't we begin by you telling us a little bit about you. Why don't we start with uh, professionally, but why don't we, where are you from? Where am I from? I'm from Rockingham, North Carolina. Um, It's a little small town, not far from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm born and raised. Born and raised. All right, (laughs) give them a shout out. There we go. All right. And so how long have you been in the Washington, D.C. area? I've actually been here. I've gone on my 12th year in D.C. Yes, I've been. So I'm not a Washingtonian, but I've been here a very long time. Yeah, well, you're about to earn the privilege. I think after about 15 (laughs) years, this can become home. Who's your football team? Do you have a football team? Cowboys. Cowboys. Okay, well, we're going to this will be a very (laughs) brief segment today. A Cowboys fan is in the house. Yeah. So you grew up in North Carolina. You've been in mm-hmm. D.C. about 15 years. Tell us kind of how, what was the buildup to, to coming to D.C., some of your educational experience, your work experience in North Carolina, and mm-hmm. also when you arrived to D.C.? Um, basically, I came straight to D.C. from college when I graduated. Um, so my, my, what led me to D.C. was I started my master's program at Bowie. Um, so, and then I just, I stayed in the area. <laughs> okay. So what did you that, do undergrad? Where did you go to undergrad? I went to Winston-Salem State, SU. SU. Ram, Ram to the day I die. There we go. <laughs> All right. So, and I, by my, uh, my major was psychology and social work. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. Matter of fact, I have a dual degree as well. So oh. my undergraduate degree was psychology and social work, and then a graduate <laughs> work in social work. But okay. we are, we, we kind of have the same perspective. We're we're caregivers. We want to help people. Yeah, that started for me very young, actually. It was the example that I saw. Um, My grandma was probably one of the main people that shaped me was my grandmother. 
Yeah. Um, so my grandmother, she was the kind of person if somebody was walking on the street and they needed mm -hmm. a meal, she would feed them. So, and then also I'm a church girl. So service is what we're taught. So therefore right. that's where it comes from. That's right. I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, and my father was a, a social worker as well. And I have my own story that we could probably do about five podcast series on. Uh, but what I do know for sure is we don't choose to do this work. We're chosen to do it. Yes, and it's by divine so. privilege and assignment, but also just through experiences we encounter through life. And it's obvious that through your family background, there was contributions into your spirit, into your personality that really gave you some direction that you wanted to serve people and help people mm -hmm. recover and get as healthy as they can. Bowie State, that's in Maryland, is it not? Mm -hmm. Yes, what was it that is. experience like? How, what kind of graduate student were you? I worked hard. I was I was living off campus, like so. It was a non traditional student, so I worked hard and did my work. Yeah, <laughs> Tried <okay>. to. <laughs> well, we took the opportunity. We pulled your transcript, and we wanted to put post that so everyone could see that. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Miss McQueen, have a very um, daunting task in front of us uh, through Prestige Resources. Not only do we want to provide over, uh, comprehensive behavioral health services to uh, persons suffering with mental illness, but we, there's a particular focus uh, that we have now on housing. We know that there's some core stability factors that if left unaddressed, it's hard for me to psychiatrically stabilize. And we know housing is a critical piece. This is Washington, D.C. There's not a, 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 a significant uh, capacity of affordable housing. Uh, and we know that many of the consumers that we treat and serve at Prestige are on limited incomes and some really don't have any income. Many of our consumers are also homeless. So before we talk about the single room occupancy that you really are spearheaded, what are some of the common barriers based on your experience that persons with mental illness uh, experience? I think the major barrier you you hit on it income. Um, in DC, we have they'll we'll quickly say that we have affordable housing, and so when we break down what affordable housing is and uh, subsidized housing is, that's two totally different things. Affordable housing is based off the medium income in DC. The medium income is basically eighty thousand um, dollars. We know that most of our consumers who are on SSI, maybe SSDI they're bringing home like 19,000. So therefore, if you're saying affordable housing for someone who brings home 80,000 and affordable housing for someone who brings home 19,000 is two very different things. Very so different. we don't need affordable housing, we need subsidized housing in DC. And yes. so that's the difference. So where they're paying a percentage of their income and then therefore they're able to live. Like, cause I can't pay you $700 for rent and all I get a month is $783. And the max I can make on social security or social security disability is like 1586. Right. And the average of the average rent of an apartment in DC, a one room bedroom apartment is what 18 to 2100. And so there is a difference between affordable housing and subsidized housing. Yes, very And much. so so we need more access to subsidized housing for this profile that at least we serve at Prestige. Yes. Those who are predominantly on SSI or SSDI or, mm -hmm. and or applying for such. Yes, so uh, subsidized housing, transitional housing, all of those things. What I, another barrier is we put people in housing but we don't teach people how to keep housing. 
Look at that. How can you do that? Yeah. I've been on the streets for five to 10 years. I'm not used to budgeting my money. I'm not used to paying rent. I'm not used to paying utilities, but you put me in an apartment and you tell me to maintain it. Look at that. Okay. So it's about setting people up to be successful and not setting them up to fail. Yes, that's so important. We're going to talk a little later on about the role of the treatment team members, particularly the community support worker. When you mm -hmm. talk about the skill build that's necessary for persons to not only secure the housing, but to maintain and keep the housing. Uh, and it's so critical. Um, since we're talking about various types of housing solutions, uh, we're going to focus today on single room occupancies, but there are other forms of supportive housing available for those with persistent and chronic mental illness. Can you identify a couple of other options available? And then we'll talk about the SRO specifically. Um, you have long-term supportive housing. That is what everybody pretty much tries to transition to. Then you have mm -hmm. group homes. You have, um, you have group homes. You have recovery homes. So you have all of those different types of housing. Basically, it's transitional housing. You have long-term housing. You have transitional housing. But transitional housing has been broken down into to different things. And they look differently. Yes, absolutely. Do you know much about the um, rapid rehousing? I know a little. I'm not going to say much, but I do know something about it, yes. Um, rapid rehousing is basically where it's a program set into place. It's a housing first model. Um, housing first works for some. It does not work for all. But housing first model is basically where um, they help you find an apartment and then for a lot of period of time, They'll help you, they'll assist you with your rent, and then you have to be able to maintain that apartment after that time. Talk a little more about single room occupancy. Uh, that is definitely an alternative. And in uh -huh. fact, Prestige has uh, taken the lead and a bold step in establishing their own single room occupancy. First, what is a single room occupancy setting? Um, single room occupancy is basically what the name says it's uh, you're renting a room. You're sharing common spaces, but the but you're renting a room, and then you have the multi SRO, which is where sometimes you have to share the room also. But it's basically you have a room and you share your kitchen, living room, a laundry room, and those types of things. And what's what would be the benefit and value to someone who's been homeless or living with family uh, in terms of a transition to more independent housing? I imagine SROs are a transitional experience or are they permanent? You can have a long-term, you can have long-term or transitional. The, the, our program is set up like transitional and the benefits of going into transitional housing, it's, it's gonna prepare you, hopefully if the program is set up right, to move into long-term housing and be able to maintain that. Yes, yeah. So you may have someone who has been living with family or living in the shelter, living on the streets, who does not feel comfortable or is not in a position mentally or just have the ability to maintain long-term housing right now. But transition in transitional housing, what you're going to do is they're going to come in, they're going to learn how to budget. They're going to, the case manager is going to work with them on that. The case manager is going to work with them on just ADL skills, how to maintain their space, maintain their area. Um, they're going to be connected to um, resources to find long-term housing. So it's a support system 
supportive housing to get them ready to be on their own because everybody just like when we grow up some of us go straight into our own apartment some of us have roommates some of us stay with our parents longer than others it people it allows people to go at their own pace and still have some 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 form of independence yeah I, I really appreciate the individualized perspective that you that you bring to this discussion that everyone's transition is to more permanent and long-standing housing is different uh, one of the things that contributes to that pace and the method of transition is uh, really the, the symptomology and their level functioning and the, the, the skills that they have uh, accessible to them, uh, the independent living skills. Tell us more about this wonderful project you've been spearheading. <laughs> I mean, the buzz is out in D.C. Your name is being being uh, used frequently. Uh a single room occupancy that was established by Prestige Community Resources. Can you tell us about the facility? Where is it located? How many beds? All right, so um, our first one, our first location that we're opening is Eastern Avenue. It's Northeast. Did you um, say first? Oh, wait a minute. You said first location? First location. We have okay. two. Uh oh okay, good. <laughs> our first location is Eastern Avenue. It's Northeast. It's a 27-bed um, men's facility. Um, it's single room and shared rooms. Um, and when putting the program together, I really, my goal was I want to put a program together that's going to help people be successful. Um, most people that come into transitional housing, their goal is to find long-term housing. And I don't think, I can't measure our success if we're not helping people transition into long-term housing. So that's my correct. thing was I wanted people, I wanted to create an environment where people could feel like they were at home and not institutionalized and not be in a program, be in a program, but not be in a program. So that was what we set out to do. And I think we were able to achieve it. Um, there is, it is sober living. <laughs> so there will be drug testing and all of that stuff. But um, it hopefully with the right staff that I do believe we have and the prestige team, um, yes. we will be able to help people move into long-term housing. Can you tell me more about the design of the facility? You said there's some single rooms and there's mm -hmm. some shared living space. Can you tell us more just about the design of the facility? Mm -hmm. So we have some single rooms, some shared rooms. There's no more than two people in a room, but basically um, the majority of people will have their own rooms. The, the, the item, the places in the, in the apartment that they will share is the living room, the kitchen, dining area, um, the the living room serves as a TV room or entertainment room. So you'll share that as well as your laundry facility. How many common spaces, living room, kitchen area, are there in the facility? We have nine apartments. So there's nine different um, common areas. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Now it's interesting. You, you're going to be opening a second SRO very soon. And we want to hear more about that. But I was very... Uh, keen on listening that the first one was for men. What was the logic of consideration? Why men first? Why all male facility first? For me, from working in homeless services over the years, um, I worked at a senior homeless center mm -hmm. for 11 years, almost 11. And, when, and being able, being in that population or being in that environment, what I saw was... Um, there weren't as many homeless women as there were men. So when I made the decision, when we opened Eastern, um, we thought about shared, we thought about co-ed, 
But then I was just like some people, I wanted to make sure that I was considerate of everybody's comfort level. Yes. So therefore I wanted to, so from what I, the need that I saw, there were more men and there were, and there weren't as many resources for men. So that is, that was the logic behind opening. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually been my experience. And I think your, uh, the research you've done is proven, proven accurate. Um, Tell me, why do you think there are more men in need of housing services versus women? I have some ideas, but I want to mm -hmm. pass it to you first. Um, I have my ideas. I'm not an authority in, in mm -hmm. it, but it's more so um, with the women, you have the family structure as well. So if a woman has children, she's more likely to get housed first than a single male. Um, women are also more like I've, in my past experience, women are more likely to ask for help than men are. Yeah. So that's, so therefore men will kind of say, I can do this. I don't need no help. I don't need anything, but that, and sometimes we'll let other people go ahead of them instead of reaching out for help themselves. Absolutely. I mean, you just confirm what the literature says. You hit a bullseye. The only other thing I would add to that is women typically, uh, are accommodated more by their natural family structure, more, more so readily than men. And so when they are in a reasonable state of health, their natural family often, more often, uh, not all of the time, will allow them to stay with them. What I find though is, is uh, interesting is for women who also use substance abuse, you find that that doesn't happen very often, that they really don't stay remain connected with the natural family because of the behaviors and the lifestyle and they're yep. easily rejected from the family uh but yeah women ask for help more yeah. uh, and they're more amenable and more engaging in treatment once they enter the uh, the venue of services and um, i think if we kind of look at the training behind that too is society so society is more uh, i think readily are readily available are more willing to help women because of because of the stigma behind what a man what our appearance of what a man should be absolutely you're absolutely right so when i think of all male unit and i think and i ponder a little bit about how some men operate after hours it's the visitation policy. Can they have visitors? Can they have <laughs> overnight have, guests? You can have visitors. They can't have overnight guests. No. <laughs> okay, no, okay, no overnight. We're not, we're not doing that. We're oh, not okay. going down that road. All right. Um, but they can have guests. Um, the visitation policy is guests up to 10 on okay. um, the weekdays, and then it's extended a little bit on the weekend. Um, as far as the number of guests, we had to limit. Like, it's only, you can only have two guests per apartment at one time because we want to, we want one, everybody to be safe. And two, we want to uh, make sure everybody is safe with COVID as well. Are, are the guests and visitor, visitors, are they screened at the door? They uh, are. Their temperatures will be taken. Um, hand sanitizer will be used. If you have a temperature, you're not going to be allowed in the facility. Um, as well as you will sign in. That way we can track if somebody, if someone in the apartment is exposed, we know how to get in touch with the person that visited. Oh yeah, so important. Tell us more about the women's unit. I and mean, What is the target date for opening that facility? I am hoping to have that one ready to go by the first of the year. Oh, um, we're, we're halfway completed. I'm actually at the women's facility today, um, working, <laughs> trying to get okay. it finished. Okay. Um, 
but we have the women's facility is a little smaller. Um, it's um, 11 beds um, mm-hmm. and it's on Minnesota Avenue. Okay, yep. very good. Are women allowed to bring their children? No, we don't have the space and capacity for women to bring their children, unfortunately, but that may be something we look into later on down the road. Yeah. Um, but as far as this facility, it is for single adults, 18 and 18 of age and older. Okay. Single adults, 18 and over. So tell me more about the admission criteria. How does one qualify? Um, you have to be a DC resident. And the two major things is you have to be a DC resident. You have to be linked to um, mental health services and you have to be, um, have income. Okay. Could you repeat that one more time? The list of, of qualifications? Um, DC resident. Uh-huh. Um be able to prove your DC resident, link to mental health services, and um, have income, a stable okay. income. Yeah. And what does the app application process entail? Um, basically, what you do is that if you go on our website, the application is there, or you can come to Prestige. We have packets readily available where you can pick them up. Um, just uh, ask Miss April. Shout out to Miss April. Um, April. All right. <laughs> Um, the uh, website is prestigecommunityresources.org. Um, you can go there. You can get the application. Once you get the app, once the application is submitted to me, um, basically I do re- it's three reference checks as well as a phone, a preliminary phone interview with me just to see if you're a good fit for the program, um, which a good fit would be you're okay with sober living. Um, you're okay with shared space. You have no problems with that. Um, and then uh, you're you're actively seeking long-term housing. Actively. Also, okay. one of the requirements I may want to mention is you cannot owe uh, DC Housing Authority any money, and if you have, you need to make an arrangement to pay. Because the way DC Housing Authority works, if you have a balance with them and you have not made an arrangement to pay, you do not qualify for any housing for them. Oh, interesting. So how can, so how can we find you long-term housing if you have a balance? And so if they make arrangements with DC Housing, uh, there's to some To show kind of that they're paid, yeah. To show that they're trying to pay, okay. then we can work with that. Very good, very good. Are yeah. there any disqualifiers uh, for um, access and admission? Any, any disqualifiers would be active drug use. Active um, drug because use. You are you are going to be tested when you come in. Um, And the reason we made that decision um, and it wasn't a housing first model is because sobriety is is something we want to, everybody's sobriety is something we want to take seriously. And we don't want to put people in an environment that may cause them to relapse or may have, or they may have issues with it. We don't want to traumatize anyone. People already have enough trauma. We don't want to re-traumatize them. I definitely uh, support that model. It has to be a safe place, a sober place, a place of recovery. And, we have, and I think the management and the treatment team and the staff there are responsible for ensuring that it's an environment conducive of transition, health, recovery. Uh, the challenge, though, is when you look at the, the, the profile and the data, many of the consumers who have mental health uh, dilemmas also present with substance abuse dilemmas. And it's a high percentage. Some of the data would suggest over 50% of the consumers who are chronically mentally ill have a co-occurring disorder of substance abuse. And so, you know, we know that services for that group are lacking. And I guess the best, most ideal setting for them would be a treatment context within the SRO 
where they're doing treatment, receiving regular testing, doing groups, individuals, so on and so forth. Now, what happens if someone tests positive in the facility? What we have done is you have the option. You are in, if you test positive for the, in the SRO, you are in violation of your lease. But we are about helping people, not about discarding them and not, and not and throwing them away. So therefore, okay. our goal is if there is, a subs if there is substance abuse and you want treatment, treatment is offered. So you have the option to go into a treatment facility. Mm -hmm. You will be tested. Okay. You will be tested. There's a process, but you have the option to go into treatment. If you go, if you choose to go into treatment, then it's great. But if you choose to continue to use, then you are in violation of your lease. And, and that could result in what? Eviction. Uh, we want to be real clear on that. So what I'm yeah. hearing is, if someone, if there's some indicators that a person is struggling with addiction, uh, the team, the staff there will facilitate. A referral to treatment, whether it's inpatient or outpatient, and as long as the consumer is amenable and compliant with treatment, their housing is, is in good standing. Yeah. If they refuse to abide by the recommendations and continue to use, they're suspect for um, dismissal or removal. Yeah. Okay. Tell me more about your staffing uh, qualifications and and are you going to have mixed staff meeting? Are you going to have women working in the men's unit? And are you going to have males working in the women's program? Tell me more about the qualifications of staff. Yes, we are going to have mixed staff. We are going to have um, women working in with the men and uh, women work and men working with the women. Um, what the way we've got it going is the way I've designed the program is in our two programs there are two housing case managers, um, mm -hmm. service coordinators. Okay. And those housing case managers and service coordinators will be there to assist consumers with basically preparing to move into long-term housing and also assisting them with finding long-term housing. Uh, they also have, they have a dual role, they're a service coordinator as well. So they'll be expected to bring programming into the facility, programming that will also assist and help consumers move into long-term housing. So if we Need if a consumer has a problem with budgeting, it is your job to bring in programming that's going to yeah. assist and teach them how to budget. The goal is for people to be successful. So therefore, and then we will also have a therapist where people will meet with where our consumers will meet with the therapist at least once a week. Hopefully, you can't force therapy on people, right. <laughs> but we are hoping that they will because the goal is not only to just find them a housing, but also to help them become mentally stable and to, to address the, tra the past traumas that they've gone through, because that is, we do know that that is what puts a lot of our consumers in the positions that they are. I had a consumer, I remember clear as day is one of the, it's a story, I'll tell it quickly. Um, but basically I had a consumer, we had been working, he had been sober for a very long time. Um, and he came in one day and he was just, he was right. So I was like, what's wrong, what's going on? And he was, he basically said, Tanita, I was doing good. But when I woke up in the shelter this morning, yeah. the person on top of me had OD'd. And he was like, I just couldn't take it. Yeah. Absolutely. So so we know that this the stuff that they've encountered on the streets and in shelters and in their childhood and all that stuff is there had there has been an area or they haven't had a safe space to deal with those things. So we, that's what we want to do. We want to create a safe space for them to deal with that. 
you you understand it well the situational dilemmas as well as the emotional challenges that that folks who have been living in the streets or in unstable housing situations face and that trauma piece is is very significant and real and i'm glad to hear that you and your team uh, are aware of it sensitive to it and are going to provide supports whether it's whether it's within the housing program or externally to make sure those those trauma incidents are reconciled and, and most effectively managed. Um, listen, when I talk about when we talk about this group of, of folks who receive services under Department of Behavioral Health, uh, the model would generally suggest that each person is eligible to receive services from a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner, a community support worker, and a therapist. But I'm assuming that many of the consumers who apply for the program come with a team attached. Mm -hmm. uh, the most relevant when you talk about uh, daily living skills and aid activities of daily living uh, would be that community support worker. Uh, how do you see the community support worker interfacing with the facility and the staff in the program? So basically, um, for our for our consumers that come from Prestige, um, we have the housing coordinators, or the um, service coordinators, and the housing CSWs will take over their caseloads. Um, mm -hmm. They will work with the consumer, and we did that for the specific reason of um, we don't want to put people at an elevated risk of getting sick because we're in a <laughs> It is very uncertain time right now with the pandemic and everything. And we know that COVID right, the COVID rates are spiking. So we want to do everything we can to keep people safe. Right. So since we talk about COVID and we talk about housing and we talk about group living, uh, there's some obvious considerations I know you and the staff have really thought through uh, to, make, to ensure the best you can that the consumers and residents are safe as well as the staff. But let's first talk about how has the COVID-19 uh, pandemic uh, impacted your development of the single room occupancy? Can we start there? Yes. Um, I, well, we can, it's basically slowed down the process yeah. um, because everything is done over the phone and via internet. So it's slowed down the process a lot. So it's, it's hard to get people on the phones with electricity and Comcast and all of those things, it's hard to get vendors on the phone um, to kind of get the services you need because there are certain things that we need in the facility um, for it to open. I can, I won't put the I won't put the vendor on blast. Uh, no, please but don't. I, <laughs> please. But I had to get a service started in one of the buildings, and we literally what should have taken a week took a month and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's you try to pace yourself. You're trying to get it done as quickly as possible, um, but you do run into because everything is halfway semi shut down. So you have to kind of work with what you have. You know, I've I've heard consumers express time and time again their frustration with the the slowness uh, associated with any process applying for Social Security, applying for housing. All systems are if not shut down nearly shut down. And so when, when this population is in dire need, and when I talk about in most cases, they're in dire need of the service, uh, 
it's hard for them to comprehend and appreciate these delays and all of these administrative barriers that have been imposed specifically related to the pandemic. And so I, I know you and your team have had a challenging time explaining the process, uh, uh, justifying some of the, the challenges and de-escalating some of the panic and anxiety that's uh, put on the consumer. Uh, so your team really are behavioral health specialists uh, with the uniqueness, of course, with housing, but you definitely understand how critical and impactful a seamless process can be for a consumer in dire straits. Now, when I think about this pandemic and I think about common living, multiple people, unrelated people, kinds of things are you doing in the program to protect the staff and, and, the, and the residents? Um, we are basically in common areas, we are requiring that you wear face masks unless you are sitting down eating, that kind of thing. Um, we're recommending that people wash their hands as much as they possibly can. We have cleaning crews coming in multiple times during the week to, to sterilize or to sanitize the, um, the shared areas. Um, and we are basically limiting the access to the building, who can come in that doesn't stay there. Um, and just having, just providing face masks and all of that kind of stuff. Just the same thing, I recommended that people stay, even though you're living with the person, if you can stay six feet uh, apart, stay six feet apart, social distance, that kind of thing. Now I know there, there's uh, agencies and businesses now that have this, uh, cleaning spray and solution where they walk through the facility and spray everywhere. Is that the kind of sanitizing we're talking about? A professional organization that comes yes. in? We're talking about a professional coming in and cleaning, as well as my staff will take training. I found um, we have located a training where they can actually learn how to sanitize common areas for um, COVID-19. So we're taking what, it very serious. Yes, absolutely. It's obvious to me and I appreciate that. What happens if a resident and or a staff test positive? Mm -hmm. um, we will remove that staff from general, we will remove this um, resident from general population and um, kind of while they, while they're quarantining. And mm -hmm. then also we're testing weekly. So hopefully we'll catch um, anything fast. Before you're I, testing the staff and residents weekly weekly yes we are oh, that's that's you're definitely uh that's a real commitment to safety and health and that's that's remarkable i, I really I, appreciate, yeah yeah i think for me it was um and I, you can ask like when i was talking to my supervisors and just people on the team that i was bouncing ideas off of um all of us have been directly impacted by covid or indirectly impacted by covid i know i've been personally um, impacted by COVID. I've lost the one that I love. So my thing was, I don't want to bring anyone into a place that I, and I cannot keep them safe. So part of, a big part of my job when developing this process was how do we move forward, open this housing facility, but do it safely. Yeah. I've had, uh, unfortunately, uh, personal experience, experiences with, with this COVID-19 and it, it, it gives you added sensitivity uh, to the realness. I've also had uh, personal exposure to mental health. Again, it gives you uh, some credibility of how challenging navigating life is when you're plagued with symptomology of mental illness. Um, 
but I'm better for it because that sensitivity now lends itself when I'm working in various settings uh, and supporting people through their experience. But it is real. This pandemic is real. I've seen some of our consumers and staff kind of lower their precaution stance, uh, and I'm concerned about that. So I'm glad that Prestige is, is ensuring and guaranteeing a standard of conduct within that residence that will help reduce the risk both to staff and residents. That is very respectful. Um, thank you for being on top of that. Uh, Ms. Tania, I tell you, this has been a great segment. Um, what have I left? Oh, what's the cost? I guess people want to know how much does it cost? <laughs> the to live cost. Um, we are looking for a way to uh, maybe subsidize some of it, but as of right now, the cost is $600 a month. That's your utilities, that's rent, everything included. And then a, okay. a percentage of that will go into an escrow account. So when you find long term housing, you'll have something to kind of start off with. Even if you choose to leave the program before um, the time is up and you choose to go at it on your own, it still gets, my thing was, I don't want to leave people in a worse off position than when they came into the program. So therefore, and everybody at Prestige was right on board with that. So um, it's $600 a month, but a percentage of that will go into um, an account for you to help you transition into long-term housing. Some might think the $600 rent is a lot, but I'm not of that mindset. Again, this is Washington, D.C. And if I had the option of being on the streets versus paying $600 for a supportive housing environment, because they're not just getting a bed, they're getting supports within the residence. I heard you say case management, uh, there's some medical oversight, there's qualified staff, uh, the community support workers and therapists are coming in and out of the facility. So there's some skilled and trained uh, support available. And, and you said very uh, accurately earlier, this is not subsidized housing, right? So being able to offer the rent at that cost is almost, uh, I want to know how you did it. <laughs> how, how were you able to, because that's a low rent considering it's not subsidized. Mm -hmm. um, what, ha what has the feedback been from the residents who are interested? What have they said about the cost? it kind of it made me um they're willing to pay the six hundred dollars especially after they after we explain everything um that's going into it i actually actually um took a couple of res potential residents on a tour and they saw the facility and they was like this is really nice and it's like I, I wouldn't mind staying here and it kind of made me feel good because that's what you work for you i'm working to create a community a com not just some place for people to lay their heads, but a community to where people feel supported yeah. and they feel like they can achieve their goals. Well, I know you've done a lot of work on build out, painting, repair, construction, and furnishings. How did you furnish the, the, the uh, SRO? How did we furnish them? Um, we put pretty much the SRO is everything is completely brand new. So people will get to break it in. <laughs> they'll get to break in the furniture but basically we have bed the room is set up the rooms are set up similar um in every room you have a nightstand you have a chest of drawers you have a lamp and you have your bed um the living room has phone a tv um dining set that kind of thing pots pans all of that is included so you don't have to worry about going out and getting that stuff but um 
I think we made it nice. I mean, everybody that has seen it has said that it looks really nice. Miss McQueen, it's a place where you could live? Yes. I, really my cool. grandma, listen, going back to my grandmother, my Please. grandma said, you don't give nobody nothing that you wouldn't take yourself. So, that, so that's pretty much um, how I went about it. Would I want to stay in this property? Would I want to stay? What If my apartment looked, what if I could just totally design my apartment, what would I want it to look like? Yeah. So, well, I know I would want stainless steel. <laughs> Is that what they get? They get stainless steel appliances. Oh my goodness. And I would like a new sofa. And do they get that? Yes. Yes. Micro everything microwave, is, everything. Everything. It's Brand the works. Work. Yeah. I appreciate your philosophy. Uh, we want to treat people how we would want to be treated. And it takes me back to early in my career. I was a, a young clinician at George Washington University Department of Psychiatry. And when I left that job, the medical director wrote me um, a letter of recommendation. And out of all the nice things that he said, there was one line in there that meant the most. And he said, I would feel comfortable and honored to refer a family member to the clinical care of Paul Wells. That meant more than all of the other yeah. positive uh, 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 thing, comments he made in the letter. Um, we want to provide high quality service. And at Prestige, that's what we do. It's top shelf. We give them the best in clinical care and in clinical supports. And look at the look at this uh, resident service manager, the best <laughs> in the city, the best who ever done it, Miss McQueen. <laughs> I know you've toiled on this project. I know there's no such thing as an eight-hour day when you're undertaking this project. Yeah. Am I correct? Yes, very much so. <laughs> Some weekends. Yes. Yeah. The majority of your weekends, but it's but in the end, it's worth it, especially when you see the finished product, knowing that it's going to help people. And that's what I wanted to do. The best reward in our field is when a consumer with gratitude comes up to you and says, thank you. Mm -hmm. That's a good payday for me. Yes, and I, and I imagine it is for you. Mm -hmm. So you've been able to use your undergraduate degree, your graduate degree, and, and your life experiences. Uh, uh, to the benefit of the consumers we serve. And you're, I will say on this podcast, you are having tremendous impact. Uh, and we respect your service to this population, to the residents of the District of Columbia, and just to the overall behavioral health community. Your attitudes, your energy, uh, your expertise, your training, all makes it um, uh, a win-win situation for not only the agency, but the community base uh, that we serve. Tell me this, what, if you could give us one last clo closing statement, um, or a word of encouragement, because this is tough work. This is tough work um, and it can wear down on you. Uh, give, give me some words of encouragement. What, should I be hopeful about the future? and specific to housing in the District of Columbia. All right, words of encouragement for housing. Um, housing is not readily available in the district. It takes hard work, um, but it becomes a little bit easier when you feel like you're not alone and you have people working for you or working with you. Yeah. So it may not come when you want it, but it will come on time. Look at that, look at that. That's, all like <laughs> That's some Baptist stuff don't see that as well. <laughs> may not come when you want it, but it comes on time. But there's a deliberate strategy 
an application of work that goes into guaranteeing a yep. viable residential facility. Yeah, yeah. Um, where can people reach you? I know Ms. McQueen, everyone's gonna, I'm, your phone's gonna blow up, your email, I'm telling you. Uh, where can people reach out to you to learn more about the SRO or talk to you just directly as a, prof as a professional? Um, you can reach me on my um, work line, which is 202. Mm -hmm. 8081588 or my email tmcqueen at prestigecommunityresources.org. Okay, can you repeat the email address again, please? tmcqueen, first, first initial, last name, at prestigecommunityresources.org. I understand your family calls you T, is this right? Yes, yes, that's my family's name for me. T, okay. Ms. McQueen, <laughs> this has been a very um, informative uh, and helpful discussion we've had today. We, we again, applaud you and salute you for the fine work you're doing. And uh, Prestige is just um, also the beneficiary of all your hard work. Um, we're delighted to hear of your progress. And we'd like you to come on another show, perhaps, uh, once you get the women's unit up, because I think there's some nuances and things specific to women, uh, gender-based services that we probably need to talk about. And, you know, we already talked about the children. Uh, we didn't talk much today about those who are coming home from incarceration and what that looks like in terms of housing availability and needs. Uh, so there's so much more we can talk about. But in our limited time, we're going to conclude today. But would you be willing to come back? And, and I sure would. Yeah, I had fun today, so yes. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> well, I want to tell our audience, Miss McQueen, Tania McQueen will be coming back and she's gonna talk a little more about the, the, the women's unit that she's gonna have operational at that time. And she's giving you all her contact information. So please reach out to her for more information. She's very engageable uh, and would be, love to, to talk with you. She, she's not keeping any secrets because she wants whatever the, the formula or magic is about the way she does it to be used by others uh, because her interest is not just specific to her job. It's really a community service that she's offering. Now, if you want more information about who we are at Prestige and what we do, uh, you can visit us at our website at prestigecommunityresources.org. I repeat that, prestigecommunityresources.org. Until next time, be safe and be well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.